Hear the word of God as it's found in the third gospel, the gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning to read at the ninth verse. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen and amen. Many, many, many thanks to fellow worshipers who clip, copy, and convey articles, ideas, illustrations, which are such a great help in priming this preacher's sermonic pump. And I'm very grateful to the several of you who forwarded to me the article concerning Mr. George A. Planets, the religious editor of the Cleveland Press newspaper. Mr. Planets is a critic, but unlike other critics who review books, plays, restaurants, hotels, Mr. Planets reviews worship services. And since mid-February of this year, he has visited worship services throughout the Cleveland area, of course, always unannounced. And then on Monday afternoon editions of the Cleveland Press, his critiques appear. Now, you can imagine the critics of Mr. Kleniz's criticisms. They are many. He responds by saying all that he is trying to do is to try to help churches to see whether or not they are doing an effective job in presenting God to people. What he does is he reviews a church 
and its worship in four areas. One, the worship service itself. Secondly, the music, the choir and the organist. Three, the preacher and his sermon. And four, the friendliness of the congregation. And to each one of these categories, he awards up to three stars. So the highest rating any church can have is a 12-star, which is an excellent rating. To date, only two churches have gotten 12-star ratings. One is a black storefront church in downtown Cleveland, where he went and where they didn't know him, but where he was prayed for three times. And the other is a Baptist church where he says they sing the hymns with more gusto than that product that gusto is acquainted with. As I read that particular article, I could not help but feel what that religious editor would find if he came to evaluate and rate a worship service of the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. I would love to see what the rating would be. Maybe hard for you to believe, but after this sermon title was chosen and work had begun on the manuscript, a letter came in the mail this past week. It came from a regular radio listener in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, who referred in his letter to the work of Mr. Plainus. This particular person included a copy of the article which appeared in the Saturday Review, and it is this listener's idea that he feels that we at Bakerstown would ver do very well with Mr. Planese's ratings. He feels that the music is excellent, the sermons, the worship is excellent, and the best that he can hear over the radio, he thinks that this congregation must be friendly. But he says just to be sure, he's going to come someday and see for himself. So I want to warn you, he may be here today. So be friendly. <laughs> we want a good rating. Now, whatever you think of such things as this, myself, I think it's a pretty good idea. Because as I understand Jesus, there is such a thing as wasted worship. Just because people get dressed up, go to a house of worship, sing hymns, listen to sermons, preach sermons, sing hymns or anthems, that doesn't necessarily mean they worship. For some people, the hour between 11 and 12 in this church can be a completely wasted time. It is Jesus who said in telling us the story, two people went up to church, to the temple at the hour of prayer. But only one of them, only one of them, did not waste his time, the other one did. Let's look at those two men. The one was a Pharisee, 
Now, before you put the black hat on the Pharisee, please, please recognize him for the many outstanding attributes that he had. He was an individual who went to church. That's a good thing. He's an individual who was regular in his attendance at the house of God. That's something that every church needs. He was an individual who wasn't afraid in a worship service to stand up and to pray. You'd be surprised how many even officers hesitate to pray in public, to be able to pray publicly. That's an outstanding contribution. This was an individual who had the three P's, the three P's that we all want. Because of his position, he had power, prestige, prosperity. He had it. He was an individual that nobody in that parish could say a bad word against. Honest as the day is long, he never, to the best of his knowledge and most everyone else's, never cheated another person, never robbed him. He was an individual who was known as righteous. In other words, he treated people fairly and honestly and rightly. He was an individual who had not forsaken his marriage vows. He had not dragged his orange blossoms through the dirty mud of infidelity. He was an individual who made all types of sacrifices in the name of God. To this day, you know, a Jew must fast but one day a year. One day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's the only day he is required by law to fast. But this man, this churchgoer, this prayer, this respectable individual, he prayed two, he fasted two days out of every week. Fifty-two weeks a year. And he was very generous. Hallelujah for church attendance that is good and attenders who are generous. He was a tither, even more than a tither. The law said that there are certain things, your products, that you should give 10% of. This person gave 10% of everything, everything that he had. Even the money that was given to him as gifts. He gave 10% of that to God. Pretty outstanding man, this Pharisee. He's a man that the church needs, the type of individual has contributions to make that the world is desperately in need of. And he went to church. But Jesus said he didn't worship. He is an illustration of wasted worship. And then on the other hand, you have a tax collector, and oh, was he a scoundrel. Oh, an individual who you just didn't want to know, let alone talk to. 
To be able to understand the full effect of his personality, you have to understand about the unique ways that Rome had in those days of collecting taxes. Rome, who, who really owned Palestine at that time and ruled it, would take an area, would assess its value, and say so much money ought to come out of that particular area. Then they would let out to contract the job to anyone who would bid on it the right to collect that amount of money. They gave also to that bidder, or the one who would win the bid, the right to collect anything over and above that particular assessment amount. So, the individual who won the bid would pay Rome what they thought they should have, and anything over that he could collect, he was able to keep. And this man who was in that worship service that day, he was the individual who won that particular opportunity of service. And though he had Jewish blood in his body, that's about all he was as far as the Jews because he robbed his own brothers. I tell you, there wasn't a person in that worship service that somehow, some way, that tax collector had not robbed. I'm sure there were some people right there that very day in that temple who owed that man money because they couldn't pay their taxes and had borrowed money from him at exorbitant rates of interest and they were in debt up to their eye teeth to him. Who had to be a hard man. He had to show no mercy. He had to be tough and cruel. A liar. A cheat. About the only good thing you could say for that individual who stood off afar by himself simply because nobody else would stand beside him. That's why the Pharisee could so easily find him. The only good thing you could say about him was that he was in worship that day. And probably most of the worshiping congregation would have felt much better if he hadn't been present. But he was there. And this scoundrel, this thief, this robber, this unjust person, Jesus said, worshipped, worshipped. That seems like a strange turn of events. Doesn't look like the script or the way it ought to be, does it? What made the difference between this supposedly good man and his wasted worship and this wasted man who seemed to have a worthwhile worship. What was the difference? In my own personal study, I, I think the difference was to be found in the eyes. In the eyes. Just as I think the difference between wasted and worthwhile worship for anyone happens or does not happen because of what you and I do with the two eyes of our personality. Worthwhile worship depends upon what you do with your eyes. 
me explain. The Pharisee, you see, had eye problems. In his one eye, he had the big eye. I think you call it egotism. All he could see with his one eye was himself. He couldn't see beyond that particular obstacle. He came, listen to his prayer. He came not to see God, but to show God. He came not to listen to God, but to tell God. He came not to find the way for reconciliation and forgiveness, but to come and tell God that he already was justified. He didn't come to worship the Creator. He came to worship the creation. And there's a big difference. He had the big eye problem. Egotism. And Jesus said he worshipped but he worshipped himself. And no person has to come to church to worship self. You can do that anywhere. His prayer was not to God, but according to Jesus, his prayer was to himself. So in the one eye, you see, he had egotism, and in the other eye, he had otherism. Had a little trouble there. He had otherism. All he could see with that eye were other people. He saw the publican standing way, way off. You'd be surprised what some of you people see in this worship service and services here in this church. I see you. <laughs> I see some women sometimes. When something is said from the pulpit, they give their husbands one of those in the ribs. There's much to say. Do you hear that? He's talking to you. That's otherism. I see some of you looking up and over the pew to, to somebody down and over. Somebody with maybe you're having trouble with in business or in social relations. Do you hear that? He's talking to you. Talking to you. That's what you're saying. Or the beloved souls that come out speak to the minister and say what no minister likes to hear but which we understand oh I wish so and so had been here today that sermon was just for him or her <laughs> remember Timmy remember Timmy he helped his family to get straightened out from otherism they were sitting around the table at dinner following worship one Sunday and they were having a great time. The father was having roasted preacher and really giving it to him for what he had said. Mother didn't like the music or the choir or the hymns that were sung. Sis was upset because somebody didn't speak to her who she thought should speak to her. And little Timmy, he saw what Dad had put into the offering plate at the service, and he looked up and said, I don't know about you people, but I didn't think it was a half-bad show for a buck. Worship is not a show, nor is it a place to show off. 
It's a place to see God. And that's why the tax collector's worship was not wasted. Because he saw God. You see, when you have one eye on self, egotism, and you have the one eye on other people, otherism, you have no eyes left to see God. And that is wasted worship. We come here to see God, not each other, not a show, not somebody else, not even ourselves. We come to see God. And the tax collector, you see, he didn't even raise his eyes up to heaven. He didn't even look at the Pharisee. He couldn't even look at himself, but with his heads down and his fists beating his breast. He saw only God. He opened his eyes that he could see glimpses of truth that God had for him. And that's worship. When you look and see only God, Jesus, you know, says that the lamp of the body is the eye. And if your lamp or eye is single, your whole body is full of light. As I understand that, this is a childlike way of saying that the way light gets into the body is through the eye, just like light gets into a room through the window. And if the window has a blind on it or is dirty, not so much light is going to get in. But if the window is open or clear in glass, the light will come in and illuminate everything inside. So it is with the eye. If the eye is closed, no light will come in. But if your light comes through eyes that are open and concentrating on God, your whole body shall be full of light. Do you know the biggest fear that a preacher should have? I'm not sure we all have it, but the biggest fear that anyone who dares stand to proclaim the word of God, be it in music, be it in pulpit work, be it in personal evangelism. The biggest fear we ought to have is that we do not get in the way of the message of Jesus Christ and become the obstacles rather than the vehicles that God would have us to be. Any one of us can do it. You'd be surprised, the messengers that get in the way of the message. The cargo that does not get delivered because the vehicle gets in the way. You come here to worship, not to see a big show. We enjoy having a good time here at worship, but it is for the opportunity that people can see Jesus. We don't have it here in this pulpit. But I remember when I was a student, stepped into a pulpit once in Philadelphia. It scared the living daylights out of me when I saw in a big plaque engraved right at the top of the pulpit those words which come from Scripture, Sir, we would see Jesus. One of the reasons why the pulpit in this church is here and not there in the middle is that it is off the side 
so that no one or no thing can obstruct your view of Jesus on the cross. We don't come to worship so that the preacher can spiritually slap your hands for that evil thing you did or for him to give you a good bawling out so that at least you can feel that you paid for the wrong that you did. No, no. I can't convict any more than you can convict someone else. But when we lift up Jesus, the Jesus who said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. When you lift up Jesus and let people see Jesus, then they cannot but feel unworthy and be convicted of their guilt. We're no different than Isaiah. And when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he knew that he had unclean lips and dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's where the conviction comes. With my words, I cannot give you strength of character, courage, the ability to face the darkened and threatening tomorrows. That with music and with words from the pulpit, we can lift up Jesus. And if you see Jesus, then you can hear him say, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he will show you how rest comes. I cannot grant you forgiveness. But if we point you to the cross upon which the Prince of Peace died, where his body was broken and his blood shed, and show you the communion table where in faith you can eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him, then Jesus has been lifted up. And forgiveness which defies human interpretation and definition becomes a reality in life. I wouldn't dare go to an open grave to try to give you words of assurance if I did not think that Jesus was with me. And I've said it at every funeral and probably to my own funeral it will be said at every funeral that I conduct or officiate. Let not your troubled hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Lift up Jesus. I've told you before, on the day of judgment, some of you are going to have to stand in line for a long time because I've got lots of questions that I need answers for and I'm going to take a long time asking them. But I think I found maybe the answer to one of the questions that I've had for a long time. I found it this week. I've always wondered why two people who live together in the same home, who sign the name, same last name, who eat the same food, who come in the same car, who sit in the same pew, who sing the same hymns, hear the same sermon, participate in the same service of worship, and one of them is literally lifted up to the seventh heaven and the other one falls sound asleep. 
I can't understand what the difference is. I think part of the difference is simply because of where those two people placed their eyes or used their eyes. One of them was able, by the grace of God, to use his or her eyes and see Jesus. The other wasted the opportunity for worship. Do you see Jesus? Because wherever two or three are gathered together in his name. He's there, and he's here today. If you see him, it's because your eyes are in the right place. And hallelujah. Today's worship has not been wasted for you, nor by God. Amen.